0: Welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, the TFM. We're excited to bring you a new episode. We have a great, important topic today for pastors and for parents. Uh, In fact, it is going to be huge. Now, speaking of huge, Tony, we've had a a new president sworn in since uh, the last time that we've recorded. Now, I I know you live near the Washington, D.C. area. Did you set anything on fire a few weeks ago?
1: (laughs) No, I didn't. Actually, I, I've been really contemplating things rightly as he, of course, offered me to be his vice president. You know, I had to turn it down because this podcast we we're talking about putting together. So, you know, have a little bit of regrets about it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, hope, hopefully Pence will do a good job in your, your place, though. But
1: Yeah, I know. I'm kind of mentoring a little bit from afar, you know, although I'm sure he would have won probably 90% of the vote had I been his vice presidential nominee. <laughs>
0: I, I'm glad that you're in his ear. Well, I know we, you and I play fantasy football together as well, and I, I won it a couple of years ago, but uh, it looks like you have won, not one, but two in a row. So you beat me in the playoffs, so... Uh,
1: which really didn't take much effort this year, fortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, uh, couldn't pull it off, but... Oh well, and this will be coming to you right before the Super Bowl And uh, so I'm happy to see I'm I'm not a huge NFL Falcons fan But uh, I am happy that the Falcons are in there Uh, I thought they were going to choke But hopefully they'll be able to take it to Brady and Belichick
1: Now, you say you're not a huge NFL fan But didn't you get a second mortgage in your house Betting on the Falcons to win?
0: (laughs) Well, we won't talk about that I'm not a gambling man but um but
1: really I do want to say anyone listening here who's a Patriots fan just turn off. Cause you really need to get your life together right before you listen to our podcast?
0: You need to repent. Well, anyway, as I said, we do have a a really important topic today. we want to talk about, is my child saved? Or is this child that I'm working with saved? Now, a few years ago, LifeWay Research released some statistics that baptism rates within the Southern Baptist Convention were down in every age group but one. Now, this one age group actually saw a 96% increase from 1974 to 2007. Do you know which one it was?
1: I would guess the 97 to 102-year-old age bracket.
0: Uh, You know, they didn't have stats that I saw on that one. It was actually, though, those who are 5 and under. Yes. The leaders, <laughs> leaders in the SBC, saw that that was a problem. One, because baptisms were down. That you know, we're assuming that it means less people were coming to Christ through the ministry of Southern Baptist churches. But number two, they saw that we're baptizing more and more children who weren't all that far beyond wearing diapers. So we want to talk about why this problem. And to kind of springboard us into the the discussion, I want to read you something from Alvin Reed. He's a professor of evangelism and student ministry at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He thinks that well-meaning parents so want their children to follow Jesus that pastors have been pressured and have not taught well biblical conversion and discipleship. Now, there's a lot to this issue, but I think he does hit on a really, really important topic and a really important answer in in figuring out what's going on here. So, Tony, what does it mean to be a Christian or or to use other language from the Bible to describe this? What does it mean to be saved or converted like uh, Professor Reed said?
1: It probably obviously means you know eating fried chicken, driving a pickup truck, you know having a bumper sticker that says Jesus is my homeboy. You think that's a good definition?
0: Unfortunately, though, I, I think- in, in the culture we live in, it you know the cultural Christianity plays in.
1: It does, yeah. But in truth, I think I have listed several definitions of what a Christian truly is, what it really means to be a Christian. I think it means to be a citizen and son in the kingdom of King Jesus. It means to be part of Christ's church, not just a local church, but God's greater church throughout the world. It means to be saved from the punishment that we deserve. And we all do deserve a punishment. In fact, I don't think there is a concept of someone who's truly saved that doesn't understand we deserve punishment. It means being adopted, that's another biblical term, being adopted into God's family, being justified, made, being made right before God, being regenerate, being born again. One Bible verse that I think is really helpful and important in this is John 3 3, and I think it kind of captures a lot of this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And some translations of that actually would say, Unless one is born from above. Either way, I think the Point is unless someone is given a new birth, a new life, really in Christ, regenerate life, justified life, adopted life, saved life, then they're not truly in God's kingdom.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Bible talks about being converted, being saved, being a Christian in a lot of different ways. So it's not just one thing, and and not that everyone has to be able to articulate all of that to actually be a Christian, but we do want to understand what is involved. That it's more than simply saying a prayer. Or, for example. Now you hit on this about understanding uh, our sin but how important is that understanding and even feeling the weight of sin in becoming converted and how can parents or churches how, how might they be harming kids by kind of going light on the reality of sin?
1: The bad news really always has to come before the good news you know i like to say that a lot of times in evangelism and really in any time we talk about the gospel that jesus the message of jesus is good news only because it's a response to the bad reality the bad reality that is our sin is feeling the weight and understanding who we are realizing that we are deserving of God's judgment and punishment upon our sin otherwise it's not really that good of news if we're basically good and we're just good chaps it's not that great of news at all you know And I think if they can't understand if children can't understand the severity of their sin they can't truly grasp the atonement you know when we talk about the message of the cross it's something just tacked on if people don't truly understand the severity of their sin. And so I would say that somebody who doesn't get that doesn't really know the basic core of salvation, which is the atonement of Jesus. They can't think then they are basically good and a little bad. And I think oftentimes that's the case. I think unfortunately churches like to basically treat children as basically good but a little bit of bad. But instead I think for a child to truly be saved they need to understand that dim truth that they are rebels before god or and or else jesus i think will just kind of be tacked on to their good works going light on sin uh, has so much danger with even a child i mean of course we don't berate them but going light on sin will ultimately put their assurance in their good works not in christ
0: yeah i mean jesus said that uh, he didn't come for the, you know the, the sick are the ones who need a a doctor to come. It's not those who are healthy. But in reality, all of us are sick. Just some of us think that we're healthy.
1: Patriots fans are very sick.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's true. I think for children, too, because their sinfulness can only be expressed in so many ways, it's often easy to view them as maybe better. I mean, they're not out pushing drugs or... Um, yeah. You know, fighting in the streets and that kind of thing. And so we just only have a sample of it. And so to, to really come to grips with, okay, the, the sin that's in this child's heart is really, really bad, even though we don't see it work itself out in all the ways. And we're thankful for that. But all of us come in as rebels against God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, now, since you've hit on this, the, some children don't understand this. And there's even adults who. Don't understand this as well. But can children be saved? I mean, can they be converted? Do you have to be a certain age before you can understand this and believe the gospel?
1: No, you can of course be saved, and a person can be saved so long as they understand the gospel. And now I know that there's going to be some debate on what that even really means understanding the gospel. I think either way, there has to be some understanding of the core truths of what the gospel message are. That the kids can sometimes understand the gospel sometimes before they can even fully express it. And you know, I think sometimes the truth is God is working in kids' heads beyond what we can possibly understand. It's extremely hard to tell then for those reasons with young children. It's extremely hard to see for certain whether a child is has a great understanding and clear articulation of the faith when they can't articulate it to you.
0: Exactly. That's the thing, I mean, given the the way that they can and can't express their sin yet they're not typically gonna have dramatic conversion experiences. And so it's not as, as easy to always tell. Now, have we lowered the bar as parents and as churches when it comes to children, when it comes to to youth or even adults for what it means to be a Christian?
1: Absolutely, I think so. That, yes, with adults, this often becomes things like, for example, walk down the aisle approach or raising hands. You have to raise your hands to come accept Jesus. And this really shows no emphasis on repentance, which the Bible is very clear has an intricate role in this. For kids, these things are even more so the case. They're kind of really put on steroids. I imagine you would feel the same way. Yeah, I think for them it can be. We talk about language like "ask Jesus into your heart," and you've written you've written some on this. I know another way, even within uh, some very healthy and good denominations, can be things like you know things like denominational boards sending out numbers that they need for VBS. That you know how many how many kids raise their hands, how many kids were officially saved through this VBS. I think really this does lower the bar. Churches often, I think in this especially, have much lower baptism standards for kids. And I think it's unfortunate. You know, it's really what's cute rather than what's accurate. Repentance, though, is clearly in the Bible necessary. Uh, even when you probably know the passage, uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right, Then And you know, it's interesting that that needs to be understood in context. And in context, that's essentially saying, confess that Jesus is Lord as opposed to the emperor, and really risk your head being cut off for that. That's repentance.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of two sides of the same coin. Repent, turn away from sin, and as you do that, you're turning to God. And trust in his son. And so, it often is, like you said, the uh, pray this prayer, or... Uh, Ask Jesus into your heart, and I I mean, most of the people who are doing that are not always trying to convey the message that this is a magic prayer or these are magic words or this is a magic altar or anything like that. But it can convey that without even realizing it, and you know, or with adults, there's a little, there's higher level of understanding. But I think it can be just okay. You give mental assent that yes, Jesus died for you, and you need him to forgive you for your sins and you think these things are true missing the element of repentance so what does that look like in your life so tell me if you have a child that they pray some sort of sinner's prayer or they ask Jesus into their heart something like that and they give every appearance of sincerity is that person a Christian I mean is is she converted
1: uh, that if that person does give evidence, I think it's entirely possible. that. Uh, but these kind of things give very little evidence. I'm not at all saying they're definitively not a Christian. But I'm saying that I think these acts are not biblical evidences of salvation and said in the Bible assurance comes from clear articulation of the gospel and from the fruit of a Christian life you know this sounds like something that this sounds like something that's asking a lot and it might take really years to be able to tell what's true understanding of the gospel versus what's that emotional response to this kind of thing. But in that, you know, we're going to talk a lot about baptism, but it's easy for churches then to rush to this reaction of, you know, I'm going to baptize them because they, you know, raised their hand, because they accepted Jesus in their heart. But we have to get this right because a false assurance, and especially in baptism, can be incredibly disastrous.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got the phenomenon of of re-baptisms and this kind of thing. So say you have a child that that prays this prayer and they they appear sincere. Should the first thing we do as a parent or as a pastor or Sunday school teacher is give them immediate assurance that they're saved and they can never be lost uh, so that they won't doubt their salvation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that we really need to be able to look for evidence in these cases. We need to be extremely diligent. One thing that I've really done in this is I think we really need to see how they understand the gospel. If they understand some basic truths of the gospel, if they understand that bacon is amazing and delicious, if they understand that all kids uh, should be reading the English Puritans like Pastor Tony, right? Uh, It can be hard especially in Christian environments, I think, where it's advantageous to be culturally Christians. So we have to be diligent. And I think some of the things that we want to look for with this so that we want to be able to investigate are some basic evidence As a couple of years ago I wrote out some descriptions of what I call the good Christian kid which is kind of the typical kid gets baptized is the good Christian kid in churches whereas I feel that uh, there's some ways different from what I call a born again kid a good Christian kid follows Jesus from social pressure uh, versus a born-again kid follows Jesus when it's unpopular. A good Christian kid sees themselves as good chaps, especially comparably to other people. Versus a born-again kid sees themselves as unworthy but redeemed. A good Christian kid obeys for rewards, and a born-again kid, obe- uh, again kid obeys because he has been rewarded. A good Christian kid has a disgust or hate for the loss and I'm sure you've probably seen that from time to time, right?
0: I mean, yeah. yeah, and there is a clear difference between the those kind of things. What what's motivating these kinds of behaviors? And yeah. Yeah. you know, I want to be both of us want to be clear. We're not. We we both believe that those who belong to Jesus are secure in His grip, and that once God has given them new life, they can't. They're not going to spiritually die again. No, no. Uh, and assurance is a precious promise that we have in Scripture. It's just not one that every person needs to be given. I mean, I, I, I've heard Don Carson, he's a well-known New Testament commentator, talk about, so you, you go to talk to someone, and they say, hey, I, I want to confess to you I've been in a, a sexual relationship that was wrong. He said the first thing you're going to tell them is not, well, hey, once saved, always, right, brother? They may be a Christian, and that moment, that's not the thing they need to hear. They need to hear, well, you need to repent, you need to, to look to Christ to take your sin away, um, to, to cl- cleanse your heart. And so, again, we... We are affirming that, that that you know Christ is, uh, his his blood covers all of our sin, and that we are His forever. But you just don't, as soon as someone prays a prayer, say, okay, now never doubt.
1: No, absolutely not. That's deeply dangerous.
0: It is, you know. The other day I was reading a book that I will recommend at the end. He brought out the apostles' example in Acts when they go and they preach. They don't rush to tell everybody to never doubt their salvation, or you know, write in their Bibles or on some sort of paper. This is the day I prayed. He's the apostles tell them, keep pressing on in faith, keep believing, keep trusting in Christ and following Him, and that's a a way towards your assurance. I mean, ultimately, it's it's grounded in what Jesus has done. But yes. the Bible gives us other things like, are we loving Him and we are we loving others as as other assurances for us that we are walking in the light that we do belong to him and not just that we prayed a certain prayer on a certain day and that we've been baptized
1: you know i obviously have to bring up the english puritans all the time uh... but as this relates to to assurance especially when we might be tempted to look for perfection though I think it's really important to investigate some words, some helpful words in the past, even. I really love what Richard Sibb says about Christian assurance, about how we can really know if we're in the faith. And, you know, he talks a lot about, describes Christians that are struggling as Bruce reads. And he says... Essentially that only those who struggle with their salvation are those who are truly saved. Only those who are striving to follow God enough that they say, Hey, maybe uh, th- maybe I'm not got it all together. Maybe I'm not really following the Lord. Only those are those who truly have an understanding and grip on the gospel. And you know, he shows that that in of itself, that struggle within, that struggle uh, with your sin is... The greatest evidence of faith in Christ that we can have of anything. So when your child is, stru- is saying, you know, Ma- dad, mom and dad, I don't know if I'm a Christian. In some ways, that might be the greatest evidence that your child is a Christian.
0: That's, those are wise and, and comforting words. I mean, even adults can get in, in places like that where there's concern, but when you have that concern for your soul, it is a good measure that, that the Spirit's at work in your life. So it's, you, you said this, it's not always easy to, to tell if someone is saved initially. What kind of things might parents look for in their child? I mean, you talked about the, the good kid versus the born-again kid. What are some things in the home and in, in the relationship between parents and children where parents could look and say, okay, my child's saying that they believe in Christ. Now their life is, is supposed to match up with that. What, what, what kind of things should they look for?
1: Yeah, I had a couple more on that vein, especially as it relates to the household. That I think often a good the good Christian kid, uh, which is I'd be mean, kind of ironic in that term, I'm saying that they're not really Christian, you know, they're kinda of just the good values and moralistic therapeutic deism we talked about before. But that good quote unquote Christian kid does a lot of good, but he does good to be seen. And mommy, daddy, look at how good I am because I cleaned my room. Whereas a born-again kid, a kid who truly understands the gospel and is truly seeking to glorify the Lord, will grow into seeking the Lord in private. That will you know, will not tell Mommy and Daddy, Hey, Mommy and Daddy, I did ten minutes of my prayer and devotion time today. Do I have that? Now I get a Snickers bar, right? <laughs> but instead, we'll be caught, you know, praying to the Lord. We'll be caught serving his mom and dad in ways that would have surprised them beforehand. Things like that. I mean, I think focused on the kingdom even. You know, wanting to, as a young child, tell their friends about Jesus so that they can go to heaven to be with Jesus. And now even that kind of thing, especially in the root in a gospel home, there's some times in which it's just doing what they're expected to do at their age in a room. that. I and mean, that's beautiful, and that's a wonderful thing. But I think a greater understanding of that and a greater desire to live for this kingdom, the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world, is a great way that we can see assurance and evidence of faith in the household.
0: Yeah. Those kind of those spiritual things, and also their relationship to their parents. Yes. Another yes. book that I'm going to recommend at the end, a man who's a father and has been a pastor for a few decades talks about it. One of the greatest ways to see that is a child's willingness to submit to his or her parents as the authority that God has given them, even if they don't always like, which it's going to happen, they're not always going to like what mom and dad say to do, but they realize, okay, God's put him here, and so I'm going to follow and, and so, just that attitude of of humility and submission before what God has set up. Um, now, is examining someone's life and looking at these kind of things as evidence of conversion of new life? Is that expecting too much? I mean, is it kind of like expecting people to be perfect?
1: I think that if we are expecting people to be perfect, yes, we are way off base, and I think that we're missing the gospel ourselves. Uh, but no, instead, I think we're seeking what Jesus did, especially in Matthew seven fifteen through twenty, fruit of growing into Christ. Uh, he Jesus himself commands us to look for evidence of faith in other people to so that we might give assurance, and even more so to look for evidence of faith in our own life. But the main thing, I think, is not how many good deeds that you've done. I'm not looking for, has my child done 10 or 12 nice things today? Has my child only done three bad things, or has he done eight bad things? But instead, I think that we're called to look for brokenness over sin and an upward trajectory that... Uh, You know, just like... If you start a company... That uh, your company is not a terrible company and not a failure if it doesn't go from nothing, zero dollars, to making more money than McDonald's on day two. Instead, it's a success if it's a growing company, if it's heading in an upward trajectory. And maybe it has some dip downs in the stock occasionally, which I think is a great display and great analogy of Christian life. But overall, a successful company is as a company that the stock numbers are heading in an upward trajectory over time.
0: Yeah, that is a helpful way of looking at it because it's not just a straight line. There can be dips. and, uh, And we see that even in the Bible, like with Peter. I mean, he has some pretty big blunders even after the resurrection. So... Yeah, I think we're both in agreement on that, that, that perfection is not what we're after. It's just there's been a change of the spiritual taste buds. And, that, you know, we hear a lot about That's orientation great. these days in, in one realm. I want to kind of co opt that word. And it's, you know, the orientation of life is away from self and the things of this world to, to being oriented around the Lord. Now, can we have, as we look for this, can we have 100% certainty that someone is born again, that they're converted?
1: You know, as a lot of great football coaches would say, we really don't need to get a 100%. We need to give it 110%. So we need to have 110% certainty. Of course not. We can never know for sure. The reality is, even with the most obvious adults, sometimes they can walk away when it seems the most obvious that they were in Christ. Uh, And I think one of the biggest reasons why this is people tend to fall away when they realize that they don't want to count the cost, when they when the counting the cost of, of having faith in Christ comes in surprising ways is when people fall, fall away from Jesus. When they desire the approval of man, so sometimes, for example, this happens in college, even with a child, a 16, 17-year-old child that's strong in the faith, but first, at 19 or 20, comes to a time where it's more socially advantageous for him to reject Jesus, he's going to reject Jesus.
0: Yeah, I mean, even Paul had a traveling companion. He was a missionary with him, Demas. So in Colossians four fourteen, he's with Paul. They're pra- they're traveling, preaching the gospel. But then by Second Timothy four ten, which is kind of the end of Paul's ministry, Demas is loving the world and abandoned Paul. So even Paul, yeah. who accepted him on his team, you know, was in the end wrong about him. I mean, unless Demas repented. And so yeah, we it, we're not calling for some sort of infallible thing, but you just look for more than formulate prayer or even a profession of faith. We can deceive ourselves. And so looking, giving some time for uh, evidence of faith. Now, what does this mean for when we should baptize a child or should we even be baptizing children? I mean, in, in the New Testament, there's no specific instance of uh, of a child being baptized, which that would include infants so Presbyterians we, we reject your lies but uh, but there is yes. no specific mention of, of a child being baptized so we sh- should we baptize them
1: the first I do want to bring up some basic statistics like you brought up kind of a statistic in our Baptist Convention until about 1920 uh, one cannot find evidence of Baptist churches baptizing children before 13. And even then, it was extremely rare to find one baptizing before sixteen. And this number, this number of baptisms in Baptist churches uh, of those under thirteen, actually went up by more than twofold. Went up two and a half times between 1977 and 1997. So, you once was the case less than a hundred years ago. It would have been extraordinarily rare for a Baptist church to baptize a child. Uh, whereas now, the vast majority of our baptisms are baptism of children. The and Further, I think it's a relevant stat and a relevant fact that everyone mentioned overtly as being baptized in the New Testament as, a, as an adult. Now we may have children in households and our households are baptized. We don't know that's the case or not. But everyone evidently mentioned as being baptized was an adult. That being said, I think that I really want to preface this that by saying many of you listening probably were baptized at very young ages, maybe four or five, six, seven, at younger ages than I think me or Ben would be thoroughly in favor of. But I really want to say that a baptism is still a baptism. And even if that baptism was done at an age where we probably would think it is unwise, we think it's unwise uh, for, in different extents because the chances of someone not truly being saved Uh, who's baptized at that age is substantially too high for our comfort level and that's what a lot of christians especially baptist leaders have felt in the past but you know if you continue to follow in christ after that point we have obviously no reason to doubt your baptism whatsoever but i think that all being said i think it typically is best to wait for kids I think, unfortunately, some Baptist churches essentially are just cuter (laughs) uh, paedo-Baptists, are essentially just Presbyterian churches that essentially rely upon a kid cutely expressing, I accepted Jesus into my heart without any even remote theological understanding of what the gospel is prior to relatively release, it was extremely rare. And many churches, many healthy churches still wait uh, for 12, 12, 13, 16, or even 18. And for us even, you know, as a family, I think we pretty much decided for ourselves, we'd like our children to wait to 13. Because the truth is, with children, ex- children it's hard to tell when their faith has cost them something. And that's the most often when false faith is revealed is when it costs you something to follow Jesus and instead they choose to follow something else. But for a seven, eight-year-old, rarely are they in a situation where it's going to cost them socially or cost them in any other deep sense to follow Jesus.
0: Yes, I mean, the people that were baptized in the New Testament, whether they were Jewish or whether they were Greek, it did cost them something. It was a very public break yes. from their old way of life. And so the fact that they were willing to be baptized showed they realized how how big of a deal this was and how seriously they were taking it. Now, and, you know, Scripture doesn't give us some sort of magic age. And so people can disagree on this. I mean, just bringing Christian and pastoral wisdom into it. Um, what is a good age to... I mean, you may have a number in your head, but it... I guess I would caution people about doing it, um, setting a, an official benchmark. Because um, I mean, I, I've talked to some young children who did seem to give evidence of that they understood the gospel and that they were turning from sin and, and things like that. And so I think it, you, you take it case by case, but uh, just urge parents not, there's no rush because we don't understand scripture to teach that children are saved by getting in that water. Absolutely. And so if the, if they are trusting in Jesus, then, you know, praise the Lord, and they are secure in his grip, whether or not they've gotten into the water yet. And so um, we don't want to even subconsciously think that, okay, well, now the pastor has, has blessed this because he's, put, he's baptized my child. Church has blessed this. And so and we just keep pointing them to Christ, and if they um, just, you know, keep their attention there and not specifically on the baptism...
1: And I think the truth is, especially in Baptist circles, how many of us have known people, even in more in the South, that will say, that have wandered away from any semblance of faith since well before they were even a teenager that have drifted away from attendance to church but, you know, would tell you if you share the gospel with them, well, I was baptized at so-and-so Baptist church at five or six years old. And so rest there, you know, are sure that you're going to go to heaven because of that.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I've heard it, and I've heard many other people tell me stories that they've been to churches and heard testimonies when someone's been baptized. And, well, I was baptized as a young child, and then I came to realize that I had no clue what uh, it meant to to trust Jesus and to follow Him, and so now I do. And um, you know, some people call it rebaptisms, or it's uh, I hear like getting my baptism on the right side of my salvation, yeah. something like that. Um, and again, I have. Um, I've talked to children and seen children who did show evidence of conversion early on. And so um, it just it just takes wisdom, dependence on the Lord, you know, just trying to be wise about those things. Well, are there any resources that you would recommend for people as they think through these kind of things and, and try to be faithful to the Lord?
1: Yeah, first of all, I do want to mention I think it's really, really important that churches are intentional, that they work with kids, especially who desire to be baptized. That, And again, as you mentioned that, your church doesn't have a definitive age, and, and some churches take different stands. And our church uh, does not have a definitive age for baptism either. We kind of, we would rarely do some for a very young child. But instead, we really rely on process of even asking questions to reveal true belief. And we... I have even formulated some questions that we work with kids on, and some of these questions might seem a lot to ask for a kid, but I would ask you, when you hear it, think, would this be something that we would expect someone who's a Christian to not be able to answer? And something like, how many gods are there, we ask children. How many persons exist in the the one God? What is God like? Some basic attributes. Does God ever do anything wrong? What is people's main purpose? Are people good according to God? How does God punish people because they are bad? Can people do enough good to go into heaven? Was Jesus a person, God, or was Jesus both? Did Jesus ever sin? Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Will Jesus ever come back to earth? And then uh, we get a kind of a more personal, how can people be saved from the punishment they deserve? And would God say you are a good person by his standards? How do we see being good different from how God sees being good? We have a couple different questions like that. And even ask children how they think God is working in their lives. And some of these questions, again, might seem like hard questions to ask. But I think if we don't ask these hard questions, we're going to set children up for false assurance. Don't you, Ben?
0: Absolutely. And we do the same thing here. I mean, I... Meet with a child and the child's parents and ask similar questions to that. I'm trying to see what is it that they love? Um, where is their confidence? And can they explain these things to me or can they really only tell me I asked Jesus into my heart? And again, I, I'm careful not to say you are, you're not a Christian. Um, I try to yes. say, well, you tell me you're trusting him, so you keep your eyes there. Um, and I've had situations where I said, "I think we let's wait on this. Let's keep pouring into the child. Let's keep praying and being clear with them about the gospel." And there's been other cases where we we baptize the child, but we have a little class as well that we go through kind of basic elements of the Christian faith and of the gospel, and and so um, we just want to be careful about that, not giving assurance too quickly. And not setting children up for that that kind of the rebaptism sort of thing, because I mean I know one of the pastors here that I serve with was baptized early on, I think seven or eight, and then as he got into puberty, just really really rebelled hard and lived a life of sin and then in his twenties came to realize what a, a mess he had made of his own life and he was bringing other people into it. And he said that you know, he had talked to his mom before and said, I'm struggling here, mom, you know, with doubts. He said, well, honey, you got baptized. Remember when you were you know, a boy? You know, that, that confused him. He so, said, okay, well, somebody thought I was okay. And yeah. then you know, came to realize yeah. that that was not it. And so he's, he's very careful in that regard as well and has a concern to, to protect kids from that.
1: But then you asked about resources, and I think there are really a lot of good resources out there. A couple I'd recommend. I know one that you're going to bring up that you recommended me. I really liked, but I'll let you have the uh, highlight on that. Uh, But two, I really want to recommend are Bethlehem Baptist Church's elders have created a little booklet uh, called Preparing Young People for Baptism. And there's actually uh, members... Guide a mentor's guide is what they call it for parents to work through with their kids, as well as a church leader guide. Uh, Both of those, I think, are immensely helpful and help you kind of discuss the basics of the faith as well as what baptism means with a child. And related to that, a similar thing: uh, Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky, released with Bethlehem Baptist Church policy paper that's called "Childhood Baptism and Church Membership: A Position and Policy for Sojourn Community." Church. It's by Scott Holman and Jared Kennedy who's like their family guy there. It's a really excellent resource and you can find it on Sojourn Community Church's website.
0: Okay, yeah, and I've um I think I've seen or read parts of both of those and from what I remember, they were. I mean, those are both good, reliable sources. The one that I that you mentioned, I recommended to you, is called Your Child's Profession of Faith. It's very. It's intended for parents. In fact, I just handed it out recently to a couple of parents who've got kids who are asking questions or professing faith. And he he takes, I think, a very even-handed approach. He doesn't come down hard, and but it's just a helpful book in thinking through some of those things. And he raises some questions that maybe parents haven't thought of. There's another one, and it's not specifically geared for children, but I think it would help parents themselves, as well as they think through it for them, their own lives, but also how to pass it on to their kids. There's a book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. Uh, it's by J.D. Greer. Yeah, the first book is by Dennis Gunderson, if you're interested. Uh, Yeah, but J.D. Greer, Stop Asking Jesus in Your Heart. And it's about assurance and uh, not that he's against people praying to receive Christ or something like that. Um, I mean, the the title is provocative, but that our assurance rests in Jesus, not in some external act that we've done. And uh, it's really, it's a, you know, very uh, down-to-earth kind of book. It's not using, it's not like a, a seminary textbook or something like that, but I think that would be helpful as well. Well, thank you for your thoughts on this, Tony. It was good being sharpened. And if you've enjoyed this this episode, like it on iTunes or SoundCloud, download, uh, send reviews, and tell others that you think they might find this podcast helpful and encouraging if they're working in the church or if they're parents. So thanks for listening, and we hope to have you back soon.